All right, well, good morning. How many of you had a chance to walk through it? Any of you walk through it? All right. It's a really, really phenomenal space as we conceived of what God had given us here on this campus. Auditoriums for gathering for worship, lots of classrooms for equipping and for meeting for junior high and senior high and children, but we did not have that indoor gathering space for conversation. And so really exciting on Thursday night, we actually had our pre-grand opening as opposed to this morning, and that was because we held our first alpha for the fall. We've been praying about that all summer. 71 folks filled the table Thursday night, and so really, really grateful for that. Had a great meal together, talked about truth, conversation around the table, the blessing of our community, praying and what? Listening, eating, serving, and sharing. So really, really grateful for that. And I do invite you to take a walk through afterwards and not just to go look at it, but to utilize it as an opportunity for building relationships. If you have a a copy of the scriptures, let me invite you to turn to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12, and we'll be starting in verse 28. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, whether a hard copy or on your phone, I'd love for you to be able to look at it for yourself because this morning we're looking at the fourth of the four final questions that are asked of Jesus by the crowds, by the religious leaders. We're going to see this morning in our passage that it literally says, and no one ventured to ask him a question anymore. So this is the final question that is asked of Jesus by the religious leaders in the final week of the life of Jesus. And so if we can appreciate the priority of this, uh, this is significant. The final question in the final week of the life of Jesus. And it is the question of right there. You know what that is? It's a goat. It's the question of the goat, to eat goat or not to eat goat. No, that's not the question. It is the question of the goat as in the goat, the greatest of all time. You've heard that expression before, uh, the greatest of all time. Who's the quarterback goat? Yeah, we don't start that debate. The, The greatest of all time in terms of college football teams. Not the 18 Gators or Seminoles, we know that so far, right? The greatest Olympian of all time. It's not a person or a team. This is the question of the goat, the the question of the greatest of all time, but here's specifically about what? One of the scribes came and heard them arguing, that is the Sadducees arguing with Jesus about the resurrection, They had posed this really, as Ryan led us through last week, this crazy question. And Jesus had answered them very effectively. And this scribe is seeing this go down. He recognizes that he, Jesus, had answered them well. And so he says, I have a question. What commandment is the foremost of all? So he is asking, of everything in the scriptures... Pick one, Jesus. What's the goat? What's the greatest of all time commandments given? So this is a big question, an important question. One that actually Jesus doesn't pass on this time. 
He says, the foremost is hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. (laughs) There is no other commandment greater than these. The scribe said to him, right, teacher, you have truly stated that he is one and there is no one else beside him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding, with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as himself is what? Much more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices to which Jesus then says to him, ah, you're not far from the kingdom of God. He says, you've, an- he think- you've answered intelligently. You're not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one would venture to ask him any more questions. So this is the final question. And as a guy said to me, after first hour, he came up here and he said, this is the greatest sermon you've ever taught. And I said, oh, wow, thanks. And he said, no, I didn't say it was the best sermon you had ever taught. He said, by what Jesus declared here, this is the most important sermon you'll ever give. And I was struck by that. I was like, you're exactly right. So I'm actually glad you're here. It might not be your favorite. And it, you know, who knows whether it's the best. But according to Jesus, the answer to the question makes this really the greatest sermon that I could ever give to you. The answer to what's the greatest commandment. When this is posed before us, what commandment is the foremost of all? Now, as I studied this text, here's what struck me first. If I was at coffee with somebody, sitting over at the table, and they go, hey, I've been, I've been, I read everything in the Bible. I just, what's, what, the, what commandment is the foremost of all? That word right there, commandment, would send me in a particular direction. How about you? Where would it send you? What would you begin to think immediately? Yeah, I think you'd begin to think, okay, of the Ten Commandments, which is foremost of all. And so you'd start scrolling. He's like, no other gods, no idols, no name in vain, keep the Sabbath holy, honor mom, dad, no murder, adultery, stealing, lying, or coveting. I gotta pick which of these. But what is, what turns this whole conversation And what makes this such a powerful encounter is that Jesus doesn't pick one of the Ten Commandments. And that ought to strike us. When asked which is the foremost of the commandments, he doesn't pick one of them. He doesn't go down the avenue that probably most of us would have gone down. Because of all the commandments, the ten are the greatest. And so which of the ten? He doesn't give one of those. Why? Because ultimately the Ten Commandments are actions that reveal who we love. They're actions that reveal who we love and therefore he doesn't give one of those because love is greater than obedience. Now this isn't what I am determining. This is what The man says in the text, and Jesus says, well done. You've perceived correctly. You've answered intelligently. 
Love is greater than obedience because the man says in response to Jesus' answer to him, ah, to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as himself is much more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. Love is greater than obedience. And the other thing that surfaces in this text about his answer is love is greater than obedience and love for God is greater than love for people. Now that's demonstrated in the order of the Ten Commandments. The first four, love for God. The next six, love for people. But it's exactly what Jesus says in the text. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second, he gives a bonus, though he wouldn't ask for it. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. Love is greater than obedience and love for God greater than love for people. Now, that's what the text says. Why is that true? Because can you obey and not love? Yeah, can you love people and not love God? Yes or no? Yes. But it is absolutely impossible to love God and not obey and absolutely impossible to love God and not love people. So when it comes down to it, the greatest, the foremost, the goat is love God. Don't pick an action. Don't pick a behavior. Don't pick a target of some sort of people. Love God. Now, how? With all your heart and soul and mind and strength. I actually don't think that Jesus is seeking to be in the scripture that he's quoting, seeking to be super technical here. Well, let's talk about what's it mean to love God with our mind and then our soul, our heart and our strength. I think he's describing, giving a picture of what love is. We've heard all sorts of, oftentimes, dictionary, and these are the Greek words, talk about love in the Bible. And, but let me just connect it to real life. What do you love? Well, we say we love all sorts of things. We love football. We love shopping. We love reading. We love ice cream. But we have minimized love when we say we love those things. Because what Jesus is capturing when he quotes this is that love is an all-consuming devotion. But we have so watered down, if you will, love that it's lost this concept of all-consuming devotion. And I know this because if I say to you, man, I love ice cream, you go, yeah, me too. But if I say to you, I have an all-consuming devotion to ice cream, you think I have a problem now, (laughs) right? Because I am saying, I am always thinking about 
ice cream. And ice cream makes me happier than anything else on the planet. And I always choose ice cream about ev- over everything. And I will go to every length of my strength to get me some ice cream. You've got a problem. I don't have a problem. That's what love really is. I have a problem if the object of that is ice cream. But what's it coming out? You know, what's the goat? That you have an all-consuming devotion to God. That, man, he, he fills your thoughts. He is that which makes your heart soar. He is the one that you pursue with all your strength. That's the goat. It's a love an all-consuming devotion. See, devotion speaks to the core of what love is. We say our vision here at Christian Family Chapel is to grow fully devoted, spirit-empowered Christ followers. Do you know we used to call it fully functioning? And then we had this very funny moment with some of the elders. And one of the guys goes, I don't know about this whole fully functioning body of believers because I look at my body and it's not fully functioning anymore. (laughs) And, And he's going, functioning feels mechanical. And so we literally went, all right, what says relationship? devotion and all consuming love God with all your heart soul mind and strength it's simply saying let's have an all consuming devotion to God now what I don't want you to miss is this the power of the priority of love of love over behavior That Jesus didn't say, hey, here's the greatest behavior. He said, it's a relationship. The priority of love, the priority of relationship over behavior. There's, we we looked at Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 28. There's a parallel passage. In other words, the gospel of Matthew records this encounter as well. And Matthew gives us an insight that Mark doesn't. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 35, it begins the encounter like this. One of them, a lawyer, so same guy, Mark calls him a scribe, Matthew calls him a lawyer, ask him a question, and this is new, testing him. We don't get that idea from Mark, but we've realized from Matthew's account that just like they had been testing him with the question of authority and the question of taxes and the question of the resurrection, always attempting to trap him, that that's what this guy was doing. He was trying to trap Jesus. He was trying to test him. What's he going to say to this one? That's how it begins. But did you notice by the time the conversation is over, what Jesus says to the man? You're not far from the kingdom of God. Is that a change? Yes, see, 
There's something dramatic that happens in this encounter that did not happen with the Pharisees and the Herodians or the Sadducees. They didn't budge. But in this conversation, the man moves from testing him to Jesus saying, you're not far. See, the power of the priority of love is that love, love moves people in a way that behavior doesn't. It's a relationship. The man began testing Jesus, but ultimately Jesus says to him, you're near the kingdom of God. It moves people. I don't know about you. What's your spiritual journey has been. But I grew up in an environment where behavior was prioritized. It was the Ten Commandments plus some. It was the Ten Commandments plus don't go to the movies, plus read your Bible every day, plus don't play cards. Seriously. Plus, never get a tattoo. There's, there's, there was the 10 and then there was the another 10. And it was spirituality was entirely based upon behavior. You know what happens when we prioritize behavior? If we prioritize behavior, you you guys know this, it leads to one or two ends. Pride, (laughs) because I'm doing it, look at me and I feel good about myself, or despair, because it's killing me. (laughs) If you grew up in a behavior-based church or approach to the scripture, it inevitably will lead you to pride or despair. The bar will either make you feel good or it'll kill you. But if we prioritize love, then it leads to what? It leads to relationship. Look at verse 32. Mark 12, verse 32. Jesus gives him the answer to the question of the goat. And what's the first word that the man says back to Jesus, at least in the New American Standard? What's the first word? What is it? Right. How many ways can you say right? I mean, you've never thought. Right. What did I just say? Correct. Right. What did I just say? You're crazy. Cynical. Right. You never said right that way? Right. Just think back to your teenage days. You thought that. Right. But what else could you say? Right. What are you saying then? Ah. I didn't know, but... Now I'm getting it, right? 
See, we can say, now we don't have the video so, or the audio. So all we, all we have is written down, right. I think based on where the man starts testing and where he ends up, Jesus says near the kingdom of God, that the man is saying right or right or right. Which? Yeah, you don't even want to try it. Third, yes. He's, I, th- I think he's going, aha. A- a- and I think the text supports us. It's not just a guess. When Jesus saw that he had answered intelligently, in other words, you're getting it. You're not far from the kingdom of God. Do you understand that this man, a scribe, a lawyer, he would have based his entire life and his righteousness on behavior. And he hears Jesus say, the goat is love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he says, right. Because loving him with all my understanding and all my heart and all my strength is, I had you say the two words, much more than burnt offerings and sacrifices. In other words, that actually is more than everything that I've built my entire life upon of regulations, the do's and the don'ts, right? It's about love because behavior will lead to pride or despair, but love will lead to relationship. And the man's moving. You're not far. You started testing, but you're not far from the kingdom of God. You're near. Is there a difference between near and in? <laughs> Big difference. See, the knowledge of truth will bring near. But to just capture the difference between near and in, all I have to do is think about going to visit Niagara Falls. Near and in are dramatically different. In fact, if you've been there, part of the fun is getting as near as you can without getting in. I mean, they haven't take the, the boat so that you can kind of like get even close and feel it spray you. But you don't want the captain to drive in. So is the man in or near? Jesus says he's near. The truth, ah, I get it, right. But what's required for the man to enter? He sees the truth. I think he understands the truth. But entrance only happens with repentance. See, there's a difference between understanding the truth and repenting. Ah, right. It's more than burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now, what's it mean to repent? You should, you should know this. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're not, you need to know repentance Repent and believe in order to be saved. Repentance is a change of 
mind. See, the, the man understood, but he does not declare, at least in the, the encounter as it's portrayed, he does not declare, uh, I understand and uh, I repent that I have trusted in my obedience to get me in. The truth will bring near, but we must repent. There must, in order to begin a relationship with God, very important. I'm not talking to those of you who are in relationship with God right now. I am saying, if you are here because you're trying to get closer to God, you're near relationship, but you're not in relationship To begin a relationship with God, I must change my mind, not my behavior. That is so dramatically different than what we tend to think. I mean, how many of us thought, ah, I need to stop cussing in order to become a Christian? Oh, you want to be a Christian, you need to stop this, stop this, stop this, start this, start this. Are you in? That is not an accurate understanding of the gospel. What must I change my mind about this? For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one would boast. See, the the key to changing my mind regarding entering the kingdom of God is what I think about my works. Some of us think (laughs) they haven't been that bad, so I'm in. And some think they've been so bad I could never get in. But friends, It's not about works. You're saved by grace, by God giving to us what we didn't deserve. Not because we worked for it, but because we believed in him. See, I must change my mind. Either that I'm good enough and I don't need a savior, I won't ask you to raise your hand, but how many of you thought that's actually, I needed to repent that I wasn't that bad? I didn't, I mean, I wasn't perfect, but I really wasn't that. I was a pretty good person. I just needed to be a little bit better. We must repent it. We must change our mind. Or, The change of mind may have been, I'm too bad to ever be forgiven. I didn't think God would ever forgive me of this, or I could ever be forgiven of all of this. To change your mind, that there is no sin and no amount of sin that God cannot forgive. just like there's no amount of goodness that could get me in. There's no amount of right behavior 
that could get me in. The man is brought near. And maybe you're near. Have you repented? Have you changed your mind about your works? That they aren't that bad or that they are too bad? And admit it. I am deserving of God's wrath because of my works. A little bad as you think about it or a lot of bad as you think about it. And I believe what Jesus has done for me. He has taken the penalty that I deserve upon himself. That's how you get in. Near is not sufficient to save. Repent and believe. Now, as the man hears, he's near. Now I want to speak to those of you who would say, I have repented and believed. Okay? Very different than what I was just saying. If you have repented and believed, you are in the kingdom of God. What does, here's the question that I want us to make sure we understand. What does life look like when we love God first? Because that's what Jesus says. This is the most important sermon I'll ever give because he's going, the goat is loving God with an all-consuming devotion. What does that look like in real life? Let's do a bit of an exercise together. I'm going to take the broad categories of life and we're going to prioritize them. One to seven. And I'm going to give you the first answer. Because Jesus said, when it comes to God, children, church, neighbors, parents, spouses, and work, he is to be first. That's the greatest commandment. All right? So you got the first one. Now you decide, this is not a group exercise, you decide who gets two. Have you decided? All right, who gets three? Some of you are going, I'm not married. I don't really know. I don't have children. Act like you do for a moment, okay? If you were married and you did have children, I meant to say that. All right, so you're back with me now. All right, so if, if you're married and you have kids and you don't live on Mars, so you have neighbors, you're not retired, so you have a job. So do some imagining. Who's two? Who's three? Who's four? Who's five? Who's six? And who's last? (laughs) I knew somebody could not resist the temptation. See, if we've been taught well or listened, we know it looks like that. And you're like, oh, no, 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 I did it differently. I understand. But really, it's God, family, and family goes spouse, children, parents, if you're married with kids. And then there's church, and then there's your neighbors, and then yours who work. Right? Does this work?
So my wife's name is Jackie. Friday night, we have a date scheduled. We're headed out to the date, walking out of the house, and our neighbors, Fred and Selby, their house is on fire. I can't do it. That's, this is a makeup. Sorry. You guys are like, oh, I feel so bad for him. I'm making this up. Okay. Jeez. We go out in the day. We're headed out. We see their house on fire. And we see them. They're, this is true. They're in their 80s, and they're, they're trying to get help. And I go, ah, Fred. Jeez, you're number six. <laughs> and I got number two here with me. So let's do this. When the date's over, if there's still some embers, I'll come back and help you. Uh, okay. Oh, uh, unless my kids text me. If my kids need me. Uh, oh, oh, oh. And if somebody from the church calls, then I'll go there. But if... The date's over and my kids don't need me and the church doesn't need me. I'll be right there. I mean, we, we've got our priorities. We just did the sermon. So I love you. You see the problem? I, I, get, I get this, except this doesn't actually really always work. It doesn't. Because even if it did, I have one spouse but six kids. So who's three A, B, C, D, E, F, and G? Is it oldest to youngest, youngest to oldest, or ladies before gentlemen? Or richest to poorest? Who, who gets the priority? This is great, except in reality, I'm very serious here, as children of God, this, this does not match real life. And one of the greatest truths I was ever helped with was the reality to the shape of God, loving God first in my life was to stop thinking from top to bottom because every employer sitting here is going what do you mean you're telling me all the employees that were last and the bible would say really you ought to work and provide for your family if not worse than an unbeliever and by the way our spouse number two Actually, in our passage, Jesus said, second is neighbor. Now, Jackie is my closest neighbor, correct? I'm not sleeping with Fred and Selby, if you know what I mean. So she is my closest neighbor. But, but you see, it doesn't work. We don't think from top to bottom. Let me give you a new picture here. Start thinking from the center out. See, there really can be love God first, love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, and it not be a here's a one to seven order. It looks much more like this, where God is at the top, but he's at the top because he's at the center. 
Maybe throw this up on the sides if you could, because it's a little hard to see. But God at the center, and then we have all those other things that we tried to say. Well, what are they between two and seven? Well, this is the way loving God is with an all-consuming devotion looks like. It means that at any point in any day, loving God may mean loving my neighbor. Can I mess with you for a moment here? We determined, we did not determine as parents of six kids that our highest priority was to be at every one of their athletic events. <gasps> Horrible parent that we are. No, I'm serious. Uh, we went. See, my son's standing up and leaving right now. He's so mad at me. <laughs> Timing was impeccable there, Clay. He had wrestling matches that I didn't go seeing. Really, he did. Why? Because in that moment, there was a loving God that meant I needed to put something else, supposed to his wrestling match first. And sometimes I went. We love a list, one through seven. Why? So we can, so we can grade ourselves. We're doing it, or it's kicking our butt, but we're going to do better. We just like that. Just give me a list. Just tell me the behavior. Just show me the bar. And this requires what the New Testament calls walking in the Spirit. To say... I live here, God. You're my highest authority. I love you with all my heart and soul, mind and strength. You are my all-consuming devotion. And devoted to you in this moment, this is where I need to go. This evening, this is where I need to step. You see it? Oh, just give me a list. Okay, here's your list. Love God. And love people. And in your love for God, sort it out from there. That's the list. So, change the shape, number one. But maybe even more importantly right now, I recognize the incredible capacity for every one of us to take one of these slices of the pie and move it to the center. So that God becomes one of the slices of a life that's fully devoted to family or fully devoted to work or fully devoted to the community. You see, has, has anything in your life crept in 
so that God has been moved to a slice as opposed to the core. This is the, the greatest truth I can share with you. Genuinely glad you're here this morning. Because I cannot say to you today, hey, make a decision now for the rest of your life. Because life doesn't work like that either, does it? You got to make a decision this morning, right now. And then you'll make one at lunch today. And you'll make one tonight at dinner. You'll make one tomorrow morning when you get up or when you don't get up or when you go to work or you don't go to work. You'll make one of what is the all-consuming devotion that drives all the rest of the pieces of your life. When Jesus was asked, he said, make it this. Is that true in your life? Say, I want to give you just a moment, just quietly there in your seat. First of all, are you near but not in? All of us have been there at one point, and maybe some of you are still there, near but not in. I want to invite you right now in the quietness of your seat to simply change your mind about your works and believe in the work that Jesus has done on your behalf. Believe in Jesus and be forgiven. If you're in, is he right here? Is he center? Take some quiet moments and talk to the Lord about that in your seat. Let your gospel fill the earth 
Until the day that you return, we look to you. We look to you. When you move, when you move, our lives are changed. I know a taste of heaven here, crying out for more. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he said, pray that my will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. So that there would be a, as we just declared, a taste of heaven here. Right? So what's the greatest thing that we could do to give a taste of heaven here? love God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. To have an all-consuming devotion to God. That's it. Lord, (laughs) we're longing, we're asking for what? More of you. More of you is simply him. More at the core. More and more the all-consuming devotion that feeds every other aspect of my life. So that when I love him with all of my heart and soul and mind and strength, then I would be able to love people according to the resurrection power of Christ in me, what we declared earlier today. That, that the love of God would be empowered by resurrection power. Father, I pray that as we go out these doors, that we would go out in the kingdom, not near, not considering, but in, having repented and believed. And with you as our all-consuming devotion, our love for you. And that that would be what we would choose tomorrow morning when we climb out of bed. It's what we would choose tomorrow as we engage with people. We would love you first and foremost to the praise of your glory, to a taste of heaven here. Lord, more of you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If we can pray with you, I just want to remind you, there's always men and women available for prayer. If you're a guest, please do stop by the table for our guest reception. Be great to see you. God bless.